Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. All right, good morning. Well, wherever you are, it might not be morning. It's morning here in Rome, Georgia, and uh, we're pleased to have uh, a, a friend and guest, uh, Les Gross, with us today. And I'll let Les really introduce himself here in just a moment to tell you about himself. Uh, but today, and, and really for, uh, for a series of time, we're going to be talking about discipleship, and, uh, and that's going to be an absolute joy. Um, there are components to discipleship that we're going to talk about in just a moment, and we're going to really cover one uh, each segment for four segments. And, um, and really try to hash it out and, and make some sense out of it. And, and I would say, uh, for me, this is super important. And the reason it's important is because, well, number one, Jesus told us in his mission, we're talking theology in the dirt, so we're Christians. And our aim is to, in the public square, exercise Jesus' command to make disciples. That's the vision of the church, so make disciples. And then for me, as a guy growing up in the um, in the South, uh, where we would say cultural Christianity rules the day, there was an emphasis on evangelism, going to heaven, but there wasn't such an emphasis on following Jesus after the fact. And so for me, discipleship has been a very mysterious thing until I went off to graduate school and had some transforming relationships with folks that helped me to grow in my faith. And so, Les, as I've dug through uh, the New Testament, you know, most of the occurrences, well, really all of the occurrences of the word, even disciple, discipleship occur in the Gospels and in Acts. I think there are 261 occurrences. And then with the exception of some Hebrew sort of maybe equivalents, maybe is not the right word, but like in Isaiah 8, Isaiah chapter 50, and I think Isaiah 54 being learning, learning the way of the Lord, discipleship is, is a, it's there in those passages, but even Paul doesn't really um, mention that language, but I think it's clear he's talking about discipleship. And so with Jesus' command to make disciples of the nations and the playing of that out in Acts and in the letters we read in the New Testament, discipleship is a serious issue. It's the vision of the Lord, right? What he told us to do. And so we need to make some sense of that. So we're going to talk about this. Uh, Les has taught me this, and I want him to teach us this together, and let's walk through this. But there's a relational component that it's transformational. There's a process to it, and then there's a knowledge base. There are things to know. So Les, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and, and let's jump into the relational component of discipleship. Absolutely. <clears throat> so um, like Mitch, I, I grew up um, in a, um, for me, it was, uh, it was a, it was a Christian home. Uh, I grew up understanding, um, but I also participated in that kind of cultural Christianity, uh, at times in my life where, uh, where discipleship was, okay, here's, here's how you get your Sunday school gold star, uh, by doing these things. And, uh, there always something felt wrong about that as though it was a school that paralleled other school that I was shooting for a degree or a diploma or, um, and so for me, like 
it, it is so critical to me that we we not uh, cast discipleship, cast the following of the Savior of the world as something which is uh, a series of do's and don'ts, a series of like this is what it it looks like. This is the shape that we want you to be. Mm. Uh, rather, uh, at, especially doing that as primary, uh, we want that to be um, something that's born out of out of something that's deeply relational with with the God of the universe. And so in my life, like as I have learned that fundamental thing, it has actually brought great joy. Mm. Uh, not just not just for me in in my own walk with God, uh, but it has out of that, it has allowed me to to share that joy with so many and um the, the the disciple making task is actually the I can't think of anything else that I would rather be about. Mm. Yeah, that's rich. That's good. You know, as you were um, as you were talking, you said the word Sunday school, and um, and I, I always sometimes I can come across as uh, looking back on some of my historical past and our cultural past, and really being unnecessarily harsh toward it. But as yeah. you said the word Sunday school, there was a I will say there was there was this one man. And I'll call his name. Uh, he's he's elderly now. If he hears this, he may shoot me an, an ugly text. <laughs> but for saying he's elderly now, but his name was Tommy Harris. He was an educator in a neighboring county, and he was the first person that really uncovered or scratched an intellectual itch in me that made me read the scriptures with a different lens, that this is more than a magical book of incantations. If I quote this verse right, that, you know, God's not going to hit me, you know, with something or bad things won't befall me, which unfortunately, that's kind of some of the stuff I thought, you know. And, but he began to read the scriptures from the lens of a, a, a very educated man, but with a firm belief that the scriptures are the word of God they're true and right and teach us the way of God and teach us that Jesus is the way and leads us to knowing the Lord. And, and that began me, even as a non-Christian, there's something that awakened in me that, okay, there's a little more here. And I didn't have him in my life long. And so, but past that he God used him as a tool in that environment to go, okay, there's something here worth scratching for and knowing Jesus. And, and I would say maybe to correct my original thought, there, there is someone that God put there that did Absolutely. something relationally for me. I think that's the case. Like God, um, even in environments where there's largely cultural Christianity, the, the power of the gospel is such that um, even if the gospel is not being uh, preached week in and week out, people will come to the Father um, mm. through Jesus Christ. and. There, there is, there is life in the bride of Christ, and uh, that is that is always the case, and it is it's one of the promises of Scripture that always gives me hope. Um, mm. We will, we don't have to worry that God's gonna be forgotten. God, God is God, <laughs> right? We get to work for Him. Not, uh, we don't have to worry about Him. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's good, man. That's good. So, Les, um, mention what you're currently working on, if you can. Like, you're currently working on a PhD, and you're yes. kind of working in this world a bit. So, tell us a little bit about that, 
and then kind of intro discipleship. What is it and, and how is it relational? And let's, let's start going down that road of discipleship as relationship. Yeah. So I'm, I'm working on a, on a, uh, a PhD in biblical spirituality, uh, and which is basically a PhD in discipleship. Uh, and so that, that's, this is definitely a passion of mine. Uh, it's something that I'm really enjoying digging into deeply and, uh, digging into it academically. Uh, but it is something which from, from my youngest kid, uh, on like anyone else, uh, in, in the world, this is so vital to, to life. And so, in fact, there isn't anything any single thing more important in the world than being a disciple and making disciples. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and I think it's important to say here too, that discipleship is not for you an academic pursuit. The academics has come on the backside of a lifetime of doing this. I think it's important for folks to hear that, that you, you have been doing this many, this is your life and the academics the PhD it's really somebody putting letters on something you've been doing for a long time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this, and then I think that's, that's important. Um, like having the time and taking the time to reflect and, and kind of have a rigor to making sure that my thoughts are uh, well-ordered in a way uh, is at this point in my life, after I've been working making disciples uh, since I was in my teens, uh, early teens, and then doing it in multiple countries across the world uh, is, is just something that uh, it's God's grace to me to be able to do it. But I think that's, that's, that's really where I want to get into our topic for today is the, the fundamental thing about discipleship is not that it's a program or that it's a series of lessons or that it's, uh, it's a curriculum with a, with a set goal of graduation. Mm. Discipleship begins and ends with a relationship with nothing less than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. And it's, it's so fundamental to everything that we are supposed to be about in our life that it's you see it in the very way that we were made so in genesis 1 uh you've got all the creation happening you know god's speaking the universe into existence over the course of of the days of creation and on the very last day and the very last moment where he creates anything God speaks in the plural. Mm. The Trinity has an internal conversation within its perfect love, within its perfect relational uh, interconnection. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say, let us create man in our image, male and female. Mm. Um, and so you've got the the plurality of what it means to be human as male and female you've which is relational mm -hmm. uh you've got the relational god speaking in in its plurality mm -hmm. amongst itself 
and that's what where we're born. We're we're born out of that relational um, connection with um, in the Trinity, and that's how we become image bearers. Wow. So discipleship really is about uh, about regaining our image bearing of of the Creator of the universe, about growing in that after the fall. And so that that relationship was broken in the fall. That relationship was destroyed because of sin and the entrance of sin in the world, that rebellion against our creator. And it, yet it's that creator, that one who made us in his image to be in relationship with him and with each other, that is the one who came to restore that relationship. And he did it by, by bearing our sin, by coming in communicating clearly uh, what that love was and the way that that relationship could be restored. Hmm. So you're, so when you, and you said something there that absolutely triggers 5 million conversations that, that probably deserve to be had when you talk about regaining our image bearing, meaning because of sin and rebellion, there's something maybe not that has uh, been obliterated, but been massively broken, uh, maybe reoriented, maybe cross-wired. Maybe that's, I don't know if that language is appropriate, but things are not as they were when the Trinitarian God made male and female in his image. That's exactly right. And I I think that's, that's key. Everyone is an image bearer on the planet. That's, that's, first of great importance. That's why we value life uh, as precious because, uh, because we are image bearers. Every single plant of individual human being on this planet is an image bearer of God. But that image is so twisted and marred that we are unable to, in our own strength, reflect our Creator. Um, and we are unable to do the verb to image God, uh, to reflect his character and his nature uh, without his help and without him restoring us and our relationship with him. So for me, like that's, that's really critical to the whole discipleship process um, or the disciple to being a disciple is to recognize that it's all about restoring our, our, our being restored in the image of God through that relationship. He's the initiator. He is the one who enters into that relationship through um, or calls us through his son, Jesus Christ, and then seals that with the Holy Spirit. So the whole Trinity is actually involved in the restoring of our, our relationship with him. The father originates it, the son enacts it through his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. and and the Holy Spirit seals it, and he's in us. Right. So you say Father initiates, the Son enacts, and the Holy Spirit seals. Is that, did I capture that yeah. correctly? So when you yeah. say the Father enacts, because you're talking about relationship restored between Trinitarian God and his creatures. So the Father initiates. It unpack the Father initiating, and then the relational component of all those to us and us back to, to God? Um, 
so the the father the father looks at our situation um and sees knows uh before he ever created us before the foundation of the world that we would rebel against him mm. and yet he chooses not to annihilate us mm. totally or or put us uh in the same position as he put satan which is an unredeemable situation mm. satan cannot be redeemed uh the our redeemable situation is because god the father said actually i'm going to restore these people hmm. wow that that just blows me away like yeah. it could have totally been god's choice to be like well they rejected me so go away right and or just wipe us off the off the face of the planet and we would never never exist instead he chooses to orchestrate the means by which we are saved and that's when he he and the son have some kind of eternal conversation outside of time and decide to send the son into time in a human body and the incarnation is is this um father originated son enacted act and that is entirely for the purpose of restoring our relationship with him right and 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 there is this uh beautiful language paul's going to use this mystery there's a mysterious component that's beyond even our words our our outlines our structures to catch this eternal conversation between father and son that says this is what we're going to do that's that that's goosebump level it is it is wow so the son and acts the son and acts and that would be coming yeah coming to us coming to us that would be uh the way that um the way that john puts it in the first chapter of john is uh he came to his own his own rejected him um like that that is so overwhelming to me the way that we every single one of us he he despite our our rebellion against him he came to us and yet even as he came to us we were still like go away like <laughs> and worse uh, <laughs> right but the other thing that blows me away is that he decided to make his dwelling among us hmm. he decided to live with us i mean there's a deeply relational um nature of those words like he came and he lived with us he became one of us he didn't have to right but he chose to right and i uh, that i'm still grasping what that means having thought about it most of my life right uh, and i don't think i'll ever get to the bottom of that even in eternity hmm. uh, like there won't be any way that we can grasp the depth of of that immense love and that pursuit right right i almost feel um um I, my mind is instantly going to practice 
Yeah. The son enacts by coming. And, and now if I'm created in that image and, and not jumping into the transformational, that we're going to do that at another point. But yeah. if I'm now, if, if he has come to, to um, re help to, well, not help, but he regains this image in me, then, then there's got to be some component of me now imitating that. If I'm made in his image and he brings me back into that, his coming now, there's, there's, there's implicit, I think he says it explicitly, but there's implicit now some manner of me being like who created me. Yes. And, and he came, he was sent, he came, and now I'm sent and I go. And that's relational because where am I going, right? He came yeah. to us and then I am to go to where, right? But there's a public nature because he came publicly and now I'm to yeah. go public. And, and I think jumping, jumping into the, the sort of applicational aspects or, or what is it that we need to do because God did this for us? What is it? How then shall we, we respond? Um, the first response is that everything that we do needs to come out of that relationship. It never needs to come out of duty. It never needs to come out of uh, obligation. Um, it, Paul uses the word bondservant. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful word. A bond servant is a servant, a slave who has been freed that re-enslaves himself to a master. That by choice says, I will never leave this master because this master is out of love. I'm going to serve this master like a slave the rest of, the rest of my life. Um, and once... So we, we can do it out of like, well, he's the boss, so I guess I better do what the man upstairs says. Mm. That so dishonors what the invitation is. Wow. The, the invitation is, if you love me, obey my commands, John fifteen ten. Right. So even obedience and all the things that we get to do for him, the doing needs to be born out of a deep abiding relationship with the God of the universe that is my God. Hmm. And you see that, that part of God's character throughout the whole Old Testament. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hmm. He's the God who identifies himself with specific individuals. Unless we think those guys are heroes, like we've got a polygamist, right? You know, like right. we've got, um, we've got. I mean, Jacob is a trickster, right? You know, um, and uh, you know, Abraham is a wuss that isn't willing to like say this is my wife because right. he's afraid that he's going to get killed. You know, right. <laughs> it's my sister, man. This is my sister. So, I mean, like, but God identifies himself with these weak, uh, broken men. Right. And allows his name to be tied with them. Um, so that, that's, that's the pursuing nature of God. Mm. And uh, so 
when we when we go forward and we talk about the transformational and um, we start to get into process and things that we need to do, things we need to know, if it's not on that bedrock of relationship right. and we're not always cycling back to that, then um, when we say a, a disciple is a disciple maker, right? You can go and be a disciple maker and be like, well, I, I'm, I here's my my thing that I said I was going to do. So can right. you be my one person that I'm going to share Jesus with this week? And okay, sit down. And then you just like, so Jesus came to save you and uh, he loves you a whole lot and he loves me too. Right. Or you can be like rooted in that relationship right. and really recognize how deeply you're loved and then recognize that that same love and how specific that is for you is how specific that love is for that other person you're sitting across. And yeah. you begin to see the other person through the eyes of God, through the eyes of Jesus and how Jesus loved that person. Then you're going to lean into that person and say, my brother, my sister, God loves you, truly loves you. And he has been pursuing you and he has um, a longing for you to be restored. You become an ambassador for Christ, one who is really representing the king and the kingdom, right? rather than one who is doing something out of drudgery. Yeah, that's rich. That's rich. Hey, Les, we're going to take, I'm going to pause for a a moment. We're going to take a break uh, and allow our amazing sponsor to tell you a little bit about who we are, and then we'll come back and pick up right there. So, Les, that, that component, that ambassador component, this relational component um, is key to my, my image of God fixed, restored, and my imitation now of this God. My passion is different. This isn't a, oh, I have to do this. My imitation of Jesus is real. Right? He did this out of love for the Father, and he this, uh, did this out of a love for his creation that he would lay all of that aside and 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 so therefore my imitation of that that's less than is maybe even uh blasphemous in that i'm projecting something about god that is untrue so there's a relational component there between us and him and our imitation of that that is essential in our discipleship absolutely and i you see it in some of the some of the parables of Jesus. For instance, it's like the the parable of the talent. For instance, so you've got this parable where um, this this wealthy guy gives a bunch of um, different amounts of money to three different servants, then goes away for a long time, and those servants are supposed to do something with that money, do something with with those resources that a talent. Um, is a huge amount of money, and one of them invests it and um, and doubles the money over the course of a decade, and then the other one does the same, a lesser amount of money, but he doubles it, and then the one who got the least amount, which is still a ton of money, buries it, uh, and he says, "I buried it. Here's your money back. I knew that you were a harsh master." Hmm. And right there, he is, is where the whole point of the parable is, is that he didn't know the master. Didn't know the master. master. 
generous. <laughs> the master was generous by nature, and right. he thought of the master as hard. Yeah. And so his, his sin, in a sense, or his, his misstep uh, in that parable is that he's like, he thinks of the master as something that he's not. Right. The master says, all right, if you think of me as harsh, then I'll deal with you as harsh. Yeah. And that to me is uh, that that parable is maybe one of the more I hate to use the word scary, but it's a sobering parable because I think we read we don't understand talent as basically kind of like a year's worth of wages. So here's here's a year's worth of wages. Go do something cool with it. Yeah. Right. And then this guy comes and says, you're harsh. You're you're all this. And, And he clearly did not know his master and that got for him his perception of his master is what he got yeah that terrifies me absolutely and i i i bring that up because i think it is a sobering thing for us to think about like we really have to as we enter into this relationship with with god we need to really look at who he is who are we in relationship with right and, you know, First John tells us that the very character of God, God is love. Right. Right. That's right. A, it's a relational word. That is a, you, a, love requires a lover and an object of that love and the love between them. Right. It, it is by nature. It, you can't love unless there's something to love. Right. And so there's love within the Trinity. And then that love out of that, trinitarian love all of creation is in um connection or in relationship to him he sustains it all right. but then specifically for us we are created in his image and that image means that we can be objects of love that turn around and love back hmm. um, which is you know when jesus has conversations with the pharisees he's he's telling them that like they're they're like Okay, what what do we? They're trying to trap him. So, what is the whole Old Testament? What's the point of the whole Old Testament? And he's like, it boils down to two commands. Right. Love God with everything that you are. Right. And love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So it it's love vertically and love horizontally. Uh, and wow, that's. So when I say discipleship is is relational, it's living out the two great commandments. Right. Right. Yeah, that, we'll we'll unpack. Right. If that's the summary, love God now because you can, because right. it has made it possible for you to love him and him love you. And now go love people like that. That's that's massive. I mean, that's that's information and that's marching order. Yes. That's the ultimate. And here's a knowledge base, and now here's something to go do with. And I, I think that's that's key too. Is a lot of times we think of love in our culture as this mushy thing that um, that's all feeling, right? God did create our emotions, but primarily love is an action, right? It's, it's an intentional pursuit of another with with the idea of the of blessing the other 
the other person. Right. And so when we, when we talk about love, it is how, can, how best can I take care of my neighbor like I take care of myself? How best can I uh, meet that neighbor's need? Right. And really, a lot of times we think of love your neighbor as yourself as oh, that's, that's the golden rule. That's really, that means, um, you know, if, if I want my lawn mowed, I'll, uh, you know, when I'm not doing well, I'm going to go mow my neighbor's lawn. That's good. That's, that's great. And maybe that is the hands and feet of what needs to happen. But the main thing, if we miss, uh, if we miss that the most important thing for that neighbor that they actually grow in their relationship with God and they, um, then we're, we're doing something lesser than what we're invited to do. Yes, absolutely. And, and by the way, Keith, uh, was not able to be with us today. Keith will be back next week. Um, and, and I would say, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because that would be, Keith would be screaming or exploding on the other end going, yes, if I mowed their lawn and their lawn looked good, but they went to hell, they had a pretty lawn and went to hell. And yeah. so, so yes, by all means, mow their lawn, but by all means, make sure that they understand that there is a, there is a God that they are to be reconciled to and the image, his image in them repaired. And, and that's through Jesus that that happened. And like our good acts, when we love other people, can't be, I, I know my own heart, right? right? And I love, I love praise, right? Mm -hmm. um, but praise is not something that we're supposed to see. That was, that was Satan's uh, big, right? <laughs> that was Satan's sin, is yeah. he wanted to, to glory rob. Right. So even as we do good acts, right? Uh, we need to do them and point people to Jesus. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so, like, if you are going to mow, mow your neighbor's lawn uh, and the guy comes over and is like, man, you're the best neighbor ever. Actually, I'm not the best neighbor ever. Uh, I, <laughs> right. It is, it is, but for the grace of God, I would not even have the capacity to love you, to serve you, to, to be a good neighbor. Yeah. Uh, so it's anything that's good in me, it belongs to God. Yeah. And that way we're, we're actually putting God in his right place in our life. And we're pointing our neighbor uh, to what's, what they need, which right. is in that relationship. They need that more than they need anything. Absolutely. That's right. That's huge. All right. So that we can be robustly Trinitarian, let's make sure the Holy Spirit seals, right? So when the Holy Spirit seals this relational component, what is the Holy Spirit doing in sealing our relationship and furthering this relationship? So the, the analogy there is, uh, that, is that we're basically orphans who have completely uh, are out there without uh, any advocacy or any hope. Uh, no one's watching over and caring for us, but but God said, I'm going to be your father and I'm going to make you my child. And then uh, <clears throat> that's not fully realized yet. Mm -hmm. But I, in the meantime, 
the father and the son come up with this plan and they send the spirit and the spirit enters into us so that we actually have new life. Uh, spirit and breath are, are uh, synonymous words in Hebrew and in Greek. And so that, that spirit comes into us so that he becomes the very um, breath by which we, we live our new life. And the other thing about it is that he's also the deposit or the seal of the letter of the stamp that says, these are my adoption papers. Mm. These are papers that say that I am a co-heir with Christ. Right. Right. Wow. But it's not just sort of like he's just a letter that says I've got rights and privileges as the son or daughter of the king. He's active. He's right. active and he, he has this ongoing conversation with us as we live our life. Uh, as, we, as we walk through everyday life, we have an opportunity um, to develop spiritual ears that hear his voice more than we hear all the voices around us, more than all the things that people are saying about us more than the the voice of our our grandmother in our in our conscience that's like don't do that um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of grandmother you had uh, I have a very sweet grandmother but there were definitely things that I hear my grandmother's voice when I'm about to do certain things <laughs> don't do that stop that's awesome uh, so there's a growing component um, so the relationship grows and and that may be over time, there's a relational growth between us and the Holy Spirit, realizing the promise that is given and is good as done, but the promise is, I'm here until this is fully completed. Yeah. And I think that's where I want us to end today is like, the everything that we need that a, that a brand new believer, a, one who is born into um, new life, when somebody comes to believe, they, they become born again, right? They're born as a new creation right in that moment. And then that Holy Spirit, all of the, the Holy Spirit that is necessary for that person to live in relationship with God and to live a life of obedience born out of love is right there at that moment. That Holy Spirit doesn't come on more later. Um, it doesn't, there's not like a second amount right. of Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is there. Right. <clears throat> and whether or not we choose to live in the power of that Holy Spirit which Romans 8, 11 says is the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Yeah. That, that's some serious power. Yes. Um, if we step, if you, you or I stepped on a cockroach, um, we have the power to give death to that cockroach, but n- neither one of us and no one watching this video right. is going to be able to say to that cockroach, cockroach be a lot. Right. That's right. And that's just a bug. Right. But spirit of, the spirit who Jesus sent to be in us right in that verse, the one that's, that's given uh, where it says he raised 
the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit who lives in us. Mm. That kind of resurrection power is what we have within us. Right. Whether or not we choose moment by moment to live in that, to listen to the, that voice, to be obedient to that voice, is part of the discipleship process, the discipleship life, mm. uh, living in obedience, um, born out of this relational connection, this love um, with the God of the universe. Right, right. That's rich. There's so much more, and we're gonna do. We're gonna come back, and we're gonna talk about the transformational nature on our next episode. We talk about discipleship, and and I want us to to, to kind of come back and to bridge that. Talk about this relationship now between us and God, and how that affects now relationships with others, and leads into the transformational component of ourselves and other other people. And so, man, that's all we got time for today. And uh, the truth is, I feel like I'm I'm just now getting wet in the pool of discipleship <laughs> and want to keep going. So but that's all we can do today, but we're going to come back next time and, and revisit this. Les, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your investment in myself and, and in those uh, that we are working together with. We're grateful for you and appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's a, it's a joy to talk about these things. Absolutely. All right, guys, appreciate you joining us today and we'll see you next week. Take care. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.